Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 from 6th and Peabody with Old Smoky Moonshine. Yeehaw, beer, and you. Glad you're with us. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Full, uh, full crew uh, making the show happen for us, including David Reed, the chairman of the board, Jacob Swanson, Jonathan Moulton, and the entire Outkick staff. Uh, let's see. Oregon is going to be out of the college football playoff. Dan Mullen is out at Florida. The Titans lose to one of the worst teams, if not the worst team in the NFL. And a lot happened across the National Football League after that yesterday. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Jonathan Hutton losing his voice, but we all win because he's going to soldier through this show. I will. And he's here today, and I know that he's going to get it done. Uh, There were a number of teams who did not get it done over the weekend. Uh, Michigan State being one of those. Hutton, you mentioned Oregon. Uh, the Tennessee Titans certainly did not get it done, but um, look, we strive to get it done on this show. <laughs> we Paul. will. That's that's the we goal. will win today. I got to start betting bigger and more frequently with Bobby Carp, who uh, whose Big Ten advice has been just hitting the nail on the head, and he was all over Michigan State secondary just not being able to hang with Ohio State's yeah. receivers, and it didn't take much time. Boom, 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 and that game was over. Bobby Carpenter joins us, by the way, in 20 minutes. Uh, Thanksgiving week, so he's been moved up. He joins us to review the weekend, which will include Ohio State's beatdown of Michigan State and much, much more. Let's start right here locally with the top team in the AFC falling to the worst team in the AFC South, the Houston Texans, who came to Nashville and beat the Titans yesterday uh, in what was a slow, prodding, boring game in the rain uh, in Music City. Paul, you were there, and man, was it a bore, first and foremost. It was uh, really <laughs> – look, I, I, I tried to take the mindset, right? It's a trade-off. The Titans have played really good football against really good opponents for six weeks. And uh, it's not often you get a run like that following that team because it plays in a division with, with some, some bad and unexciting football teams. Well, we got payback yesterday in uh, exactly what you said, an incredibly boring game. Ryan Tannehill throws four interceptions. Titans uh, muff a punt for another turnover. So they really did a lot to give it away. But you have to give the Texans some credit also because they came up with an offensive plan, as limited as they are talent-wise, to not let the Titans' most effective unit over the last six weeks, the pass rush, have any bearing on the game whatsoever. Terod Taylor was getting rid of the ball in a hurry. I was asking last week, why don't they run it more even though they don't get anything? They ran it a ton without a, a great deal of yards, but they contrived a plan that didn't let the Titans' front have any bearing on the game. And then Terod yeah. Taylor escaped twice 
ran to the edge, got in the end zone, and they let the Titans damage themselves. It was 12 nothing. The Titans had a stop to begin the second half. Uh, the punt goes off of Chester Rogers' leg or foot or ankle. The Texans recover, get a touchdown, made it 19 nothing, And that is when Houston went into scoreboard protection mode. Absolutely. Bland brand of football. That is the Houston Texans. That's their brand because they suck. And they, they played that brand to perfection yesterday because the Titans allowed them to. The Titans hand-wrapped this the same way they tried to gift-wrap the victory to the Colts here in Nashville back in late September. The Colts didn't take one. it. The difference in that game was Houston had a lead. They held the lead. The Titans are perfectly able to come back from 19 down, Chad, but not with a JV stable of weapons. This team came into the season and said, oh, look at us, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones. Well, the only one that played in this game was A.J. Brown, and he <laughs> hurt his hand first, <laughs> and then he hurt his chest or his shoulder, and then Marcus Johnson, another you know uh, likable receiver, pulls his hamstring, and yep. all of a sudden, they got a JV team out there. I hesitate to overreact to one loss, just like we tried to hesitate to overreact to one win. Go ahead. And the Titans did win six straight games going into this loss on Sunday. But if this is the Titans roster, we are going to see moving forward. Offensively, they may not win this well, division. It probably is next week. They may not New win England. this division. I know A.J. Brown, there's some good news on A.J. Brown getting back quickly. Um, the schedule... This is the problem with the Titans. The moment you think the schedule is getting tougher, they get tougher and they reel off a winning streak. The moment you think, boy, this is a great opportunity for this Titans team to get healthy against some bad teams and the schedule is going to get a lot easier, they bleep the bed at home against the Houston Texans. So I don't know what to think of this schedule now because once again, they're going to New England with Nick Westbrook-Akina as their number one receiver and everyone is spelling doom for this team, they may go up there and win, for all we know. But I look at this roster, I don't know how they can keep it up. And we saw that, okay, they got through the Rams game with the Rams handing them the game and Matthew Stafford. They got through the Saints game because Trevor Simeon sucks. Yep. Then they get the Texans, who's the worst team in football, if not the worst, the second worst. And I'm thinking, if they got through those, they're going to get through this and they're going to weather the storm, and maybe they're going to start to find their footing with this group and get better offensively. They were far worse against the Texans. Um, again, I don't want to overreact. They still should win this division, but I watch the Colts and how they're playing. By the way, what is going on with Buffalo, who suddenly yeah, is terrible? Sinking like a stone. I mean, terrible. And the, But the Titans, the, from a, a record standpoint in the division, the two wins over the Colts, they're still in good shape. I just look at that roster offensively right now, and I think... This is a team not only going nowhere in the playoffs, they're going to have to really get creative, find ways to win games down the stretch. I understand you're not going to win a game where you lose the turnover battle 5 nothing. I, I wasn't countering them on that. Right. What I was saying is, what about this team is prompting you to turn the ball over five times and not get a takeaway when you are superior in talent, even with your JV weapons? There's nothing about the te- – the Texans are, are a pretty good turnover team. They're like, you know, eighth and turnovers, seventh and interceptions, something like that, or maybe ninth and eighth. But there's nothing they were doing. At two of the interceptions were very much on a, on a fourth-round draft pick, Des Fitzpatrick, who's just up from the practice squad. Tannehill made some bad throws. But there's nothing about Houston that was prompting 
the Titans to play so poorly offensively. And that's the puzzling thing. They just have this tendency, it's in their DNA, to lose to bad teams and play down to competition. Now I think they have a really hard time in New England. Then they finally get to the bye week. they got to come out of that significantly healthier if they're going to do what they can do. The theme of the the game recap for me today as we get through the next three hours is Ryan Tannehill. Because like it or not, Ryan Tannehill must rise to the occasion. The best quarterbacks in the National Football League do it week in and week out. They, how many times, and I'm, I'm, this is not a fair comparison, but it's apt based on who he's playing alongside right now. How many times did we look at a roster or an offensive line with Peyton Manning or a, a, a skilled position group with Tom Brady and say, man, he, he makes so many people around him better. Yep. Ryan Tannehill has to do that. He must do that if the Titans want to achieve what they're capable of this year and have the hope of Derrick Henry coming back. If he doesn't, if he doesn't protect the football, they're not going very far. Dan Dockett uh, this morning on Don't At Me Without Kick, I, I was a guest of his, and he asked me if the Titans are a fraud. And I said, I, it's too early to call them a fraud. Are they a fraud for the number one seed in the AFC? That's, that's likely, but that's not their fault based on the injury situation where it is. I mean, it, it's incredibly terrible what we've seen from the injury. The injury bug for the Titans have, has, hasn't even leveled out yet. They're getting worse with injuries. They're, they're still not getting guys back, and they continue to, continue to drop like flies, even if it is for just the remainder of a football game. Point being, Ryan Tannehill has to be the leader and the best player on the field, and he was anything but that yesterday. We can blame Des Fitzpatrick. Des Fitzpatrick didn't make the opening 53 roster out of camp as a fourth-round draft pick. Yeah, sucks. Ryan Tannehill can't just force a football to the fourth-round pick because he's on the field. He's got to know better than that. It starts with, and, and, and Tannehill said as much yesterday post game. He said, look, it starts with me. I've got to be better. That's all true, and I, I'm glad he said it. It doesn't end with him, but fair or unfair, the best quarterbacks in the league take it up a notch when they have to, and it's on him to do that. He's got to protect the football. And they don't have 13 touchdowns to 12 interceptions. Right. That's an alarming, alarming ratio. I think the value of Derrick Henry is is being shown time and time again in his absence. Because Ryan Tannehill's not a top half of the league quarterback right now. And that, that's just let's just call it what it is. He's terrible right now. He is terrible without Derrick Henry. And I know that there are a lack of weapons at receiver, but how quickly Ryan Tannehill went with Derrick Henry in his backfield to every time he dropped back, especially in play action, Titans fans would get excited to see what was going to happen because he was probably going to get a little bit of protection and someone was going to come wide open. To every time he drops back, I cringe watching him because I'm expecting a turnover. That's what he looks like this year. When he throws the football, I am expecting an interception. And when he is looking at someone and staring them down the whole way, I expect him to not see a linebacker standing right there. And a big play is going to happen the other way. When you have a quarterback that's that bad, you are in trouble. And I don't know if it can be fixed when Derrick Henry gets back because he was bad with Derrick Henry this year too. I don't see some... I say this, and I guess we saw it when he got to the Titans originally because he was bad in Miami. He gets to the Titans, he's very good. But are are we to expect the light switch to turn on now as we move into December with Ryan Tannehill and suddenly we're going to get a much better version well, of him? I think he needs people back. Like Hutton was referring to there, he's not going to be a Brady or a Manning who makes... 
nobody's into somebody's. He needs his people around him. I think if he had a good Julio Jones and a good A.J. Brown, I'd like to see what he was doing minus minus Henry and and give him a, a fair chance at that. And then, you know, the defense has to figure out a way to, to do what it's been doing. I mean, they, they, they put up yesterday. yards. They could not put up points yesterday. But I also think there's a big difference between, you know, uh, having a drop-off with a lack of weapons to being a guy who gets your team beat. Yeah. Yeah, no, he got his team beat. He, got his, he got his team beat well, yesterday. He, he, it wasn't just it, he no wasn't doubt. good enough to rise to the occasion. They were moving the ball. They drastically outgained the Texans in the game. He was making plays to get them beat. He looked like Adrian Martinez of Nebraska. That, that's what he's been this season. A guy who can get you yards and then ultimately makes a critical play the other way to get you beat. And I will, he's got to be better than that. I he's got to be the this. best offensive player on the field. I'm not expecting much out of a team's fourth, fifth, and sixth wide receiver. Where the Titans, I think, have failed him. Uh, Anthony Ferkser was back in the mix yesterday. He was a complete zero outside yeah. of falling on he a fumble is. in the end zone. It's coming back to bite them that they ignored tight end when Jonu Smith left. And backup running back. Yes. And now is the time that they could really use those guys. They had a failed backup running back in Darrington Evans who can't stay healthy. A third-round draft pick from a year ago. They let the top tight end leave, and they're just like, oh, everybody's going to move up, and we're going to be fine. And then Jeff Swain was doing a little bit. He gets hurt, and what do you have? Oh, my God, Anthony Furcher who can't run to the sticks on third downs and is just uh, invisible. And isn't Adrian Peterson just taking up a he's, roster spot right now? I mean, he's running yes. so upright. Even I mean, there, 16, there are, he had a 16-yard run, which was a nice run, and he's still running as tall I, I, as a running back I've ever seen. The answer seen. is yes, he is. There are yeah. countless 23-year-old running backs on a practice squad get or out there trying to get a job that would run a heck of a lot better and harder than Adrian Peterson. Dontrell Hilliard did well, some nice nice. I'm things. watching Rex Burkhead, who is a veteran, get hit four yards in the backfield and damn near get a fourth and two with sheer effort in that game. And Adrian Peterson isn't coming close to doing anything like that. And they're that. being so polite. You know, they, they, they get this, you, you get a Hall of Fame back, and then you feel compelled to be polite. They introduced two running backs yesterday with the starters. They introduced oh. Deontay Foreman and Adrian Peterson. What's that? It's, this is not a time to be polite. Well, then they give the bulk of the carries to Hilliard. Who was the best of the three. Yeah, I, no, I he say. was. He was, but my point, he wasn't even introduced to the crowd. Yeah, right. No, it's, it's, it's all about the uh, politeness. Uh, so, and here's my ultimate point on, on Tannehill. So yesterday, Terod Taylor didn't turn the football over. He wasn't anything special. Not at all. Did not turn the football over. Protected the rock. Their longest play was a jet sweep. He passed for 106 yards total. Six or nine. Carson Wentz yesterday passed for 107. And they wanted and a blowout. They wanted a blowout. Terod Taylor, the worst team in football, passed for 106 yards against this Titans defense. Ran for two TDs. And they won because he did not put them in a bad situation. Ryan Tannehill cannot be that guy. Period. I don't care who he's playing with. He cannot put the Titans and the Titans defense in a bad situation where they only have to drive 13 yards for a score. But not that, o- that's, all, that's what this comes down to. Not only did he not make the play that lost the game and he protected the Rock, he made the two biggest offensive plays of the game with those two rushing touchdowns. I mean, those were making plays out of nothing to, yeah. to score twice for the Texans, who, let's face it, they weren't going to score by a design play. No. It was going to take something extraordinary to get in the end zone, and he did that twice. Name the play that Ryan Tannehill made in that game out of nothing. 
Name the play where he stepped up and did something you would expect a guy who should be a top 10 quarterback in the league to make in a game against one well, of the worst teams Well, he threw one long ball to, to uh, NWI down the middle of the field. That's a nice throw. And right after that, he had the, the pick at the goal line, which again, Fitzpatrick messed up with Rodgers there. You know, I mean, it's his fault, but he's also, you know, and he's got to throw it to somebody. But, you know, he it, it's a it's a, a mess. Tannehill, according to Next Gen Stats, Tannehill has thrown four touchdown passes and seven interceptions this season on passes of 10 or more air yards. Yeah, it's, that's, just, it's just not ooh. up to par of the Tannehill we're used to seeing. Um, and not all of it, by the way, is without Henry in the lineup. I mean, some of this was he's under duress with all the sacks. That's not even happening right now. They're doing a better job of protecting him. They're getting the ball out fast, and the mistakes continue. And maybe I'm too much here, Hutt. You read you know, a little bit what have he, he said. He said the right words. Yeah. He didn't quite have the verve that, that most quarterbacks have when they are the, the, the goat of the game. Um, he wasn't, I don't know. You know, he I said know, every interception has its story and blah, blah, blah. You probably it listened starts, to it or you saw it. But the story starts with the quarterback. I, I feel no, like. I know. He wasn't taking I know it you're on the way, yeah. the way that I felt he should have taken it, I get it on with as much passion. Like he, he said the words, like I'm obligated to say these words, but I didn't feel like he meant it. And I think that's because Fitzpatrick screwed up two of them. Well, but every pick. I agree with what he's saying on that. But ultimately, when we look back at this, we're, we're going to look at the turnovers versus touchdowns, and we're going to judge based on... Not every pick is on the quarterback, but the quarterback controls, ultimately, who he's throwing the football to. If Des Fitzpatrick doesn't know what he's doing, first and foremost, he shouldn't be on the field. He shouldn't be on the field. They, have no other, uh, they have no other option than that, okay. Then if you're having to verbally ask him, if Des, you got it, do you know the play? If you're having to verbally ask this guy if he's got the play or not, don't throw the football to him. To me, it's pretty simple. Well, and if you're looking for someone to blame the Des Fitzpatrick being out there and not knowing what to do on, blame the GM. Yeah, it's a bad pick. Because this all goes back to what we talked about earlier. Not addressing tight end, not addressing backup running back, swinging and missing on too many picks. Trade right. it up swung for and missed on Des Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick. That is a fourth-round pick that you traded up to get that should be ready to go into a game and contribute and not have Ryan Tannehill audibly on the broadcast saying, "Hey, Des, you get that? You got it? All right." And, and to make downset hut to make it that s- happened during the game where he had to check with him on the end and say, "Did you get that audible?" Just to make it sting a little bit more because AJ Brown uh, went down with a chest injury. Julio Jones is on injured reserve, and Josh Reynolds played forty-one of forty-six snaps oh. yesterday for the Detroit Lions. He's their number one receiver. Coming up, Bobby Carpenter joins us, our number one college football expert for the country at OutKick.com. Uh, we're going to dive into Oregon losing. They're going to fall out of the top four in the college football playoff. We expect Cincinnati now to be in the college football playoff as of tomorrow night. We'll ask him about that. Ohio State just drums Michigan State. All of that and more straight ahead on OutKick 360. Now kick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody. Yeehaw beer, old smoky moonshine. As soon as I'm told we can go to Bobby Carpenter, we will say hello to Bobby Carpenter of Outkick.com. Until then, I could not believe the halftime score of Ohio State, Michigan State. Oh. Could not believe it. We had our Outkick the Tailgate show here in Nashville this weekend. Ended at 11 a.m. That game kicked at 11 a.m. 
I drove 20 minutes home, 20, 25 minutes home. By the time I walked in my house, it was 35 nothing Ohio State and led to 49 to nothing by halftime. What a, an amazing performance by Ohio State and a huge, not just a statement maker. I mean, they did that to a top 10 team. Did Mel Tucker sign Michigan that thing? State. Did they put that thing in front of him? He should have signed That's it tough timing when they have uh, that you know news coming out Thursday and Friday of them working on that extension, and then you go out and just get pounded by Ohio State. I, uh, I, I would reduce that by a few pennies, a few shekels. <laughs> I um, mean, it, it would, I mean you're, that's a great point, Chad. I did not think about the, the nine and a half a year at the time. And knowing all that. Yeah. I, I was thinking about nothing else. I, well, I was thinking about Ohio State being the best team in the country. Well, let's go. Let's, while we, we wait to get Bobby on, let's go big picture here with all these job openings. This is coaching Ray's season. For everyone, yes. there's going to be a lot of coaches that are going to get paid way more than they should based on minimal success because programs don't want to start over. They don't want to be viewed as the program that got left by a coach for a better program. You never want to be seen as inferior to anyone, even if most everyone knows that you are. You don't ever want to be that program, but because of that, you're going to see ADs and schools overpaying. What Ohio State did to Michigan State might be the most impressive victory of the season and showing uh, through two quarters. Bobby Carpenter, former Buckeye, uh, does more than just talk Buckeyes football, but that's where we start. Bobby, how you doing? I'm doing great, gentlemen. How are you doing this wonderful I, Monday? I'm, I'm sure you're great after that performance on Saturday. What a beatdown. I mean, that was a woodshed performance by Ohio State against Michigan State. Yeah, it really was. And, you know, I, Coming into that game, the line was, you know, 18, 19, 20 points, you know, somewhere in there. And I thought, okay, Ohio State will probably cover this. It'll probably be later in the game. Thought Michigan State, their offense is pretty good. They'll be able to move the football some. Thought they might be able to score 20, 21 points. And I thought going into halftime, it looked Ohio State maybe 28-7. I thought that that would be about as good as you could have hoped for if you were a Buckeye fan. You know, and as good as the offense was and as explosive as it was, to be able to score 49 points in the first half, all offensive points, you have to be able to have the ball for seven meaningful possessions. And I think the thing that was more impressive to me than anything else is a defense that's kind of been up and down this year, been inconsistent, struggled obviously mightily against Oregon, has really bounced back, played a really good game. They slowed down Kenneth Walker the third. I'm not sure if they just kind of pulled him to save him for the rest of the season. Or what? It looked like he got a little bit nicked up, you know. But forty-nine nothing at halftime against a team that, you know, by the college football playoff selection committee, they deem them to be the seventh best team to this point in the season. I don't think Ryan Day could have really asked for anything more. I also think it was enough. We'll see tonight, but Bobby, I think it was enough for Ohio State to jump Alabama and be number two, and Alabama to fall to number three after another close performance. Do you buy the argument that Alabama? is actually at some sort of advantage against Georgia and Ohio State because they've been in more close games and because they've been tested. So if they get to that college football playoff, it's better to have been in more games like this? Yeah, it's, it's always an interesting question to ask. Of, of Blowing out teams, does that eventually come back to bite you? Because you don't condition yourself like physically, mentally, emotionally for four-quarter football games. And it's important you know, to be conditioned in that way. Because coming down to the, at the end of the games, 
you have to have been in those situations. And so I will say this, I'm not going to penalize Ohio state, you know, and potentially, you know, Georgia for blowing teams out. But I do think there is an advantage for Alabama when you sit there and you're in a third and got to have a situation on either offense or defense. You either have to get the stop or you have to get the conversion. The more times you're in that situation, the more you find out about yourself, the more you find out what you like to run there, what you don't like. Guys get comfortable there. You get comfortable playing in tight situations. So I would always rather take the more talented team and the team that's been playing better. But I'm not going to completely discredit that because I played on a team in Ohio State in 2002. You know, we were not the most talented team in the world. We played a ton of close games. And I think that that set us up when we played Miami in the in the Fiesta Bowl for the national championship. Like You're used to being there. You're used to being in those situations. So nobody's nervous. And the thing is, when you're not, when you're in a position that you don't expect to be, sometimes people panic. They're uncomfortable with it. They're trying to figure out how did we get here? And this is, it's an old adage from survivalism. You know, when you get, people don't die, you know, because because, you know, of starvation, they die because they, they forget to think. They start focusing on why they got there or how they got there instead of how to get your way out of it. And so when you have teams that are used to blowing everybody out by 28 points and you're sitting there in the fourth quarter and maybe you're down by three, you're thinking, man, that, that play we made here, this play we didn't make here, whatever happened, instead of saying, hey, this is where we are. This is the brutal facts of our situation. How do we get out of it? How do we go make a play on a third and 10, taking a shot on a deep post, to Jameson Williams, you know, to, to separate and get up by two scores in a critical situation. Now, did he catch the ball? Maybe, maybe not. But Bryce Young threw it out there. Jameson Williams went and got it. And all of a sudden now you are used to making those big plays in those big spots. We were joking that Mel Tucker should have hurried the Michigan State administration along with the papers for an extension. Uh, we know this game says a lot about Ohio State. What does it say about Michigan State from a 30,000-foot what view? We'll find out a little bit more, I think, this week um, when Ohio State plays Michigan. But I, I think it it's, talks to the fact that, you know, there's a delineation there with the talent that Ohio State has. And, you know, as good as Michigan State ha- is, th- there's a there's a clear line right there. And I think that you're, we'll probably see that again in college football. We've talked about this, you know, for the last three years. Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, um, you know, all Clemson, all sitting there, and like they clearly had better players than everybody else for the, the last four years on on average. Well, now all of a sudden that started to get muddied a little bit, but you're still starting to see some of these teams rise to the top. Georgia's still there, Bama, like despite the fact they're winning some of these close games, they may not be as dominant as they've been in the past. Still have better players than most teams. Same thing with Ohio State. You know, Oklahoma, you know, Clemson, they may be in a little bit of a rebuild, but I think it's just talks about and displays the fact that there's a still a delineation and assuming that Ohio state beats Michigan. And I don't think it'll look like that, but I think it'll probably be two scores that, you know, there's a, there's a drop off between Ohio state and kind of everybody else in the big 10. Bobby Carpenter with us. You can follow him on Twitter at bcarp three. We, we have seen sec coaches make it to the sec title game. And then a year later be fired. We, we've seen it from Terry Bowden, uh, Jim McElwain, Philip Fulmer, the list goes on. Now we see it from Dan Mullen, who was in the SEC title game last December, and 11 months later, he's out. How did we get here, and what do you think Florida really wants to do? Are they after Lane Kiffin, or do you think there's someone else? Gosh, if they're after Lane Kiffin, is LSU after Lane Kiffin? I mean, 
you know, who knows? Like it, it's, it's going to be really interesting. You have three premier jobs open right now, you know, in Florida, LSU and USC. I told you, I think last week, I thought LSU was a better job than USC. I think Florida should be a better job than LSU, just as far as a national branding perspective. I think LSU, as far as talent in state, having to compete with other people for it, probably a, a more of an inherent advantage. You know, but Florida, I still think there's this national cachet. But if you go back to 2010, since Urban Meyer left there, and his last season wasn't great, you've had Will Muschamp, you've had Jim McElwain, you've had Dan Mullen, like, you know, these guys, like, they've had, like, intermittent points of success, maybe a year here where they won 10, a year where they won 11. You know, and, and Dan Mullen, you know, okay, won 11, 10, then 8, and then this year's just fallen off. But I don't know why they haven't been able to sustain it. It's been very perplexing to me when Florida State's been down, Miami's been down. And I understand, you know, the rest of the SEC comes into Florida as well. But I feel like they should be able to get the players they want and be able to coach them up. And so it's not surprising to me to see this. You know, this has been building. You know, you're firing coaches. You know, you're, you're playing in tight games and you're losing to Missouri in overtime. You know, I think that they just had just had enough at this point. And with everybody moving around, you start looking at these other jobs. The last thing you want to do is hire your third or fourth candidate because these other guys have taken other positions. And so the choice is either do I, I stay with the guy that I'm with, you know, and try to ride this out for another year and hope it gets better. And if you believe you have the right guy, I think you do that. But I think that they felt fairly confident with Dan Mullen in Florida that while he may be a good football coach, your recruiting's falling off and maybe his expectations of where he thinks the program should be don't really align with the program's expectations of where they believe they should be. So they make this move and you want to get ahead of it because the last thing, like I said, they want to do is be left at the altar and realize we're just kind of picking at scraps trying to figure out who to get. So, Bobby, Cincinnati beats SMU 48-14, did exactly what they needed to against a good SMU team. Michigan beats a bad Maryland team 59-18. Notre Dame beats a bad Georgia Tech team 55-0. Still impressive to win that big over Power 5 teams, even if they're bad. But I just can't wait to watch the college football playoff committee twist themselves into a pretzel (laughs) trying to explain how either Notre Dame over Georgia Tech or Michigan over Maryland – was so impressive that it would leapfrog Cincinnati into that number four spot in the college football playoff ranking, and I can sense it about to happen tonight. What do you think about the battle for number four now that Oregon lost in the college football playoff? Gosh, I mean, Oregon got got smoked, and it felt like that was you know about to happen, and, and Utah did a great job. But you know, I was thinking about this, and I, I talked about it in Carp's Corner you know, as I was diving in and just looking at it. You look, Michigan had a good win. Notre Dame had a good win. But the committee always talks about, like, to this point with the data points. And so if you're telling me last week that Cincinnati was better than both Notre Dame and Michigan, and in your opinion, not in my opinion, not in your guys' opinion, in the committee's opinion, then you add another data point where all three teams won. They all looked impressive. And Cincinnati played arguably, inarguably, I think, the best team of that group and looked really good. And so they had those dominating performances, the, quote, style points. And if they put if they put Michigan above of Cincinnati, I, I'll I'll rip my hair out because I I don't know what you want another school to do at that point in time. They're playing the team that is most likely the be- next best team in their conference. They're ranked in the top twenty five, and they thoroughly dominated the game from start to finish. And you're going to tell me that you know Michigan beating Maryland 
you know, is probably going to finish at or below 500 or Notre Dame beating up on a bad Georgia Tech team, that that means more? Like, come on. Like, we're losing our minds. When you look at uh, Nebraska, uh, they lose 35-28 to Wisconsin. You called it, Bobby, uh, that it was going to be closer than people thought. Nebraska had plenty of chances to win that game. Once again, they lose, I believe now, uh, their eighth loss of the season by single digits in that game. Adrian Martinez could come back for another year. How awkward is that situation now at Nebraska where you've got Scott Frost encouraging him to go through senior day, but yet he could come back a year from now. Adrian Martinez puts up good numbers, but not wins. He's the all-time leader in offense for a quarterback at Nebraska, and he's the all-time leader in losses for a quarterback in Nebraska. What do you make of that situation and what Scott Frost needs to do to secure his job past next year? I would tell Adrian Martinez, like, listen, you've been great for us. If you want to come back, we'll have you back, but I'm not promising you the job. And I thought that was maybe Adrian Martinez, one of the best games he's played as a quarterback. Now, he threw a couple of picks, I believe, and so that wasn't that was obviously less than ideal. Um, but the pass he threw on fourth down, and I don't know if you guys saw the end of this game, and I'm clicking over to him, going back and forth, and he puts it right on his receiver. Wisconsin is there clearly early. And you know, I know it's clearly early because the defender falls to the ground and puts his head down, doesn't make a celebratory play, doesn't sit there and act like he just won the game. He knows he got there early and they hold on to the flags. I mean, that doesn't guarantee a win, but it guarantees Nebraska probably gets another play half the distance to the goal and they got a shot to maybe win from the 10. But, you know, like you said, Adrian Martinez, he's done all these things. But it's, it's second 20, it's third and 20. And instead of like throwing a check down or running it and getting five yards on each of those plays and setting up a manageable third, a fourth down, you know, fourth and eight, fourth and 10, he he, he throws it away. Like he, he doesn't try to take the take what the defense is giving him. And that's kind of been the story of him the entire time there. Scott Frost has to win next season. I mean, they've lost every stinking game by single digits and outside of Ohio State, every one of them by one score. I mean, I don't know if that's ever happened in college football. And, and, and Bobby, how much how much blame should Scott Frost get? Because I, I I watched that sequence just like you. It was maddening to watch him just throw Hail Marys to the end zone oh, yeah. for four straight plays. I'm thinking, you could run it. You're allowed to get less than 20 and play other downs to get closer to the first down marker. But Scott Frost not using a timeout, essentially running it down where they only had three plays left time-wise. I've seen this time and again. It's, it's not just Martinez. Scott Frost has a game management problem also. And, and that's, that's another piece of it. Like situational football. You know, you got to understand and people are like, well, you know, you have 20, 30 seconds. You're only going to get four plays. True. Unless you get a penalty that gives you an automatic first down. Like, let's not worry about running this thing all the way down. And it, it's perplexing to me. And I don't know if he's coached that into him hard enough or listen, take the yardage. Don't just chuck it up. Like take what they're giving you, run it if you have to, throw a check down, whatever it might be. It it is perplexing. I always thought Scott Frost was a really smart football coach, but watching games this year, you can only lose so many close games and attribute it to you know bad breaks. Sometimes it's you're making bad decisions in those critical moments and doing a bad job playing situational football. We've seen that from Nebraska all season long. I like Scott Frost. I want him to succeed. I think he's probably best suited for that. But they're going to have to take a long, hard look in the mirror this offseason about what they've been doing, how they run practices, and what they coach. 
because they should be able to get more out of that roster based upon what we've seen this year. Is the Heisman a, a C.J. Stroud, um, Bryce Young deal now? Yeah, I can't imagine anybody else getting in there. I mean, Matt Crowell, I think, is back to the third best odds on FanDuel. And, um, you know, Stroud has even kind of separated himself a little bit. And it just comes down to the gravity of the situation. I mean, Bryce Young's put up great numbers, but I think it was just probably more people were locked in. And by halftime, you watch a guy throw for, you know, five touchdown passes or six and that's 400 yards. Like, okay, turn it off. And that's, that's how a lot of Heisman voters do it, especially if it's not a region of the country that you're like locked in on. So I think if you look at this, it's about moments. Uh, CJ Stroud will have a better moment this week, a bigger moment just because the Iron Bowl, you know, without Bo Nix and, you know, Auburn's down. I think it's lost a little bit of luster. So I, I think that CJ will have a bigger moment, an opportunity to go out there. And if he, there's you know three to five touchdown passes, has a clean interception, uh, a column, and does a good job completing his balls and throws for 350. Okay, I think he's got a great shot at winning it. But Bryce Young is going to get the last shot. He's going to play against what people view as the best defense in college football, and I think that's probably accurate in saying that. And if he goes out there and they win that game and he plays really, really well, it's going to be tough for C.J. Stroud to overcome that. He's going to have to look phenomenal against Wisconsin. So I think C.J. Stroud can have the lead all the way going into that final weekend, and there still will be an opportunity for Bryce Young to win it just because of those Heisman moments and how people perceive Georgia's defense to be elite, and they are. And so if he goes and plays great and produces a win, then I think that there's a shot that that door might be open and he'll be able to slide through it. Bobby, some some water cooler talk today as we as we wrap up with you. Um, let, let's hypothetically say Ohio State jumps Alabama in the college football playoff ranking tomorrow night. Does a two-loss Alabama team stay in the college football playoff if they're third? It's going to be tough because I think part of it is going to be how that game looks uh, against Georgia. I mean, if they get beat by you know, two scores, 10 points or more. Mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine them getting in. If it's a close game, all right, then it's going to come down to, you know, what does the Big 12 championship look like? You know, you're going to have a couple, you know, maybe a one-loss team there. You know, I don't think you get a two-loss Baylor team in, but maybe Okie State, if they win Bedlam, you know, and they win and look good in the Big 12 championship, could they slide in? Notre Dame, the problem is, I mean, they're playing Stanford and Stanford doesn't look great and they don't have that conference championship game to really lean on as well as that other elite data point. I'm just struggling guys to find like other elite teams like this yeah. year, more than anything else, it's just been such a mismatch of trying to figure out who's good and who's bad. I mean, Utah smoked Oregon, like and they beat them down. It wasn't like Oregon turned the football over and that's what it was. I mean, Utah just lined up and pounded them and shut them down. So I think there's a decent shot they get in, but it's really, I think it's going to be contingent as much as how, Notre Dame potentially plays and even more how the Big 12 plays out than probably even what Bama does. What we really want is how do we get to a point where it's Ohio State, Georgia for the national title, right? I think that's it because avoid, it'll be avoid the semifinal matchup is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I don't think they'll do that because I think people have viewed them as clearly the two best teams yep. um, in college football now. And it's going to be intriguing. And I've talked to a lot of scouts and everybody will sit there and tell you like Georgia's got the best front in college football. Like their secondary is good, but they get covered up a little bit by their front. If you can get a little bit of time, you might be able to take them down the field. And so it's going to be this battle of offense versus defense. And like last year, 
you know, Baylor's defense wasn't great. Their offense just overwhelmed people. And so it'll be interesting to see if Georgia can win in a throwback manner, assuming this all plays out how we want it to be, because they can't really score the football all that well. I mean, they, they run it and they do a good job. But if you try to get Georgia into a, you know, a boat race, there, throwing the football over the place. That's not how they want to play, but their defense is so good. It has allowed them to play like that this year. So I'm curious to see, you know, offense versus defense, that old school clash. If, you know, you could bring the old school back with Georgia playing defense and running the football. It's going to be the first time we've seen that in probably over a decade. Follow Bobby on Twitter at bcarp3. Happy Thanksgiving to you, man. Thanks, uh, Bobby. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll catch up with you next week. Yes, sir, gentlemen. Can't wait to see you guys in Atlanta. All right. Yep. Thanks, Bobby. Bobby Carpenter has been our guest. Always great to catch up with him. Again, check out the college football page through the OutKick YouTube page. Just search out OutKick content there and search for Bobby Carpenter. Coming up, three quick things that we learned from the SEC weekend uh, include Missouri and South Carolina. It includes the fact that we know we're going to see Georgia take on Alabama. And in a different matchup altogether, Florida now takes on LSU head-to-head. That's next on OutKick 360. Missouri and South Carolina have successful football seasons in 2021. That is one of the three things we learned about the SEC from this weekend. Outkick 360 rolls on. Missouri knocks off Florida. South Carolina wins over Auburn at home this weekend. Uh, Both bowl eligible after starting the season where we didn't think that would be the case, especially in the Gamecock situation. Missouri showed some signs of life against Kentucky in a loss. Uh, But you look back on what they've done and how they've been able to maneuver the waves of the SEC schedule, props to both coaches, um, not props to Drinkwitz for the May the Force Be With You reference. Uh, Awkward and just dumb. Forced. Um, Yes. The two-point play was ridiculous. I mean, it looked like a complete failure. Guy threw it off his back foot, and all of a sudden there's somebody standing over there. I also don't think that it's, um, you know, I'm I'm not one to shun a little bit of trash talk every now and again. I don't think it's the wisest thing to stomp on another man's professional grave if you're a coach. Right. Because he knows he Dan knew. Mullen's getting fired at that point. And at some point when Eli Drinkwicks is going to get fired, which probably will happen at some point in his career, people are going to remember that well, moment. I like to think he wasn't thinking along those lines. He was purely thinking about last year. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Well, on if that. you thought enough to have a lightsaber with you yeah. in advance of the press conference, Behind I'm pretty sure that he's smart enough to also know that he just put the final nail in his coffin with um, that two-point conversion. We do know that Florida, uh, excuse me, not Florida, Bama and Georgia will face off for the SEC championship. Um, early line from FanDuel is Bama plus four in that game. That, that's ridiculous to me. That's what I'm seeing. That is ridiculous. To, I'm, I, I think it should be Georgia minus 14 Yeah. in that game. I don't know what people are watching from Alabama and Georgia this year to think that it's a four-point difference. That is the ultimate respect to Nick Saban and that Bama program. If you've watched the two teams, to say that it's a four-point line. Now I get people are going to come back and say, well, who has Georgia really beaten this year? That's some yeah, great well, yeah, team. When you look around, yeah. they do have a weak schedule compared to most SEC teams. And Bama has gone through more of a gauntlet, but I still think this should be a double-digit line. And we're going to see Florida and LSU head-to-head for the head coaching search that we learned that over the weekend. LSU, the, the crossover would be two, two names for me, Kiffin 
or Mario Cristobal. Those are the two that I would that I could see fitting well in both spots. I think the, there's one crossover, and uh, this is some good reporting going on right now by Glenn Gilbo at Outkick and uh, Trey Wallace. He's got it down to three. Um, Trey Wallace saying that uh, multiple times Billy Napier has been contacted by Florida okay. already, and that uh, Glenn Gilbo's reporting it's down to three names now for LSU. Billy Napier, Matt Campbell of Iowa State, Dave Aranda at Baylor. So the crossover is not Billy Napier. Lot, not a lot of the flash of all people. that we expected. Yeah, a guy who's, you know, Tennessee contacted him. Mississippi State has contacted him when they hired Leach. South Carolina contacted him before hiring Shane Beamer. That's turned down those jobs. Maybe this is the SEC job that he'll take. Billy Napier, by the way, 10 wins in three consecutive seasons. Coming up, straight NFL for our number two. Hang with us on Outkick 360.